0: This episode of Ministry Monday is brought to you by OCP. OCP offers a comprehensive selection of Catholic worship resources, including the popular Breaking Bread Missal and the Spanish language and bilingual hymnal Flor y Canto. Trusted by so many Hispanic communities, Flor y Canto is now available in a new fourth edition, created for a new generation of believers. Learn more at OCP.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to Ministry Monday wherever you listen to your podcasts each week, and thank you for joining us today. This week's episode of Ministry Monday is aptly named Composition Considerations. It features composer and NPM member Luke Rosen. Now Luke today shares his reflections on the many things a pastoral musician can consider as they compose music, whether it's music for a parish music ministry or maybe it's just for personal enjoyment. From text to melody, accompaniment to instrumentation, we cover a lot in the next 30 minutes. Today on Ministry Monday, I'm speaking to Luke Rosen. Hi Luke, how are you today?
1: I am doing well, how are you Amanda?
0: well i'm well thank you for chatting with us on ministry monday today
1: no problem at all
0: today we are talking about composing and what i'd really like to do luke is talk about kind of composing from the start you know um maybe someone who's listening maybe has a little bit of a melody in their mind but if it has never written it down but maybe it you know pops around in their head or maybe they're always compelled to a certain scripture text and they think, you know, it would be great if I wrote a, a, if there was a song on this, but I just can't find one. Like something where they feel the stirrings of the Holy Spirit on the topic, but maybe haven't known where to start or just didn't start yet. Um, That's kind of the focus that I wanted to start with this conversation.
1: Well, I think that the biggest part of it, 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 it's interesting, I'm I'm teaching a songwriting class at the, the high school where I teach. And oh, cool. This is the first semester that that we're doing it, and the kids have been in school for two days now. And I feel like I'm having the same conversation with these kids that that you're talking about with these people that might be having these ideas. Um, the biggest thing is, uh, I guess you you'd call it like the imposter syndrome uh, thing, where you know you feel like you know who am I to be writing anything down uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a great composer. And, you know, the, I guess the point to be made here is that every great composer had that first piece of music that they, that they, that they wrote down. Uh, I think the biggest hump is just to put something on paper or put something, I guess now on screen and, um, uh, just to, to get a start going with it. Um, you can work with something once it's sitting in a written form that you can change and show people and and share. And until you can get it into into that form that you can show to somebody, you're kind of stuck on your own and um, there's not a whole lot people can do to encourage you. So I think that's the big step is just do it. Uh, get get that first thing down on paper. Uh, beyond that, I, I think a lot of us have a lot of musical training that we didn't really know that we had. Um, you know, maybe you maybe you haven't had a lot of music theory in, in, in your life. Well, you have lived, you know 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years as a person who's been listening to music and you'd be surprised how much of that gets synthesized in in there uh without without being officially taught and so you're you're uh as someone who's who's having musical ideas and you know, being worried about i don't have the training to do this um i i think you've you've had enough training just by living um to to at least start this kind of thing. And you know, you can you can get formal training later and, and learn various aspects of, of things later on. But uh to get started, I think we we've all kind of had enough in, a, in our in our backgrounds as just general musicians. So uh the, the first step is just to start and um find a mentor i think that that's a that's a big part of this find someone who's done a little bit of this before or find someone that's in the same boat as you and get together and you know maybe learn an aspect of of this that that has come up in what you're working on and work on it together and you know during during lockdown we were always having those uh those zoom cocktail parties all the time do the same thing with with this if you don't have someone in your area find someone that that you're friends with and sit down and have a zoom cocktail slash uh working on working on our composition party sometimes being a composer is a very lonely thing because you're on your own having to do it but the learning of of, of the different pieces of it is is actually a very social thing. And so maybe get together with a friend and start figuring some of it out.
0: I love that. So get started, right? That That's kind of where we are. I know it sounds very obvious, but get started. Mm-hmm. Um, in your experience, what comes more easily to you? A melody or text?
1: Absolutely the melody. Yeah? Absolutely the melody. Um, I I spend a lot of time fretting over text uh, and just trying to get it exactly right. Um, years ago, um, some some of your viewers would know uh, Del Ridge, and I would send her texts all the time, and and she would be very blunt with those texts. You know. Honey, you just got to start over again. You yeah, know yeah, I mean, she, she'd be very, very blunt uh, about it. Um, but I worry. I worry about texts, and I always want to have my texts completely done uh, because the way my brain operates, as soon as the words are in front of me, the melodies start, and so as soon as the melodies start and you're in the middle of writing the text and the melody's already coming in there, it starts to affect the text. Um, And sometimes you can get yourself into a bind because you like the melody, but the text didn't take you where the melody took you. So I I like to have the text first, either choosing someone else's text. And there's so many good books out there um, from a multitude of publishing companies and, just all kinds of sources of of good music. Or take a traditional text. Um, I used to teach advanced placement music theory, and our first semester exam was the students uh, could pick either a winter text or pick a Christmas carol that that they already know and rewrite the song to it. Um, you know, do something new with a text that's that's already written. And uh, sometimes that that can bring good fruit. But I, I always try to do text first and then go in for the music. Wow. So a lot of the time I like it if someone says, here's the text we want you to do. That, right? that's, a, that's quick work because <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to fight with the text. <laughs>
0: And, you know, we, we had an interesting episode recently with Alan Hammerding about the text alone. So this is a topic that the listeners have kind of explored already. And it, and uh, hopefully we have a respect for how challenging the text can be. Oh, if, if you're watching the video version of this podcast, you are getting treated to the fact that there is a kitty on the screen. This yeah. is a, this is a ministry Monday video podcast exclusive. Can you, Lou, can you introduce your kitty cat, please?
1: Well, I, I I get made fun of. I'm I'm a, a consummate musician. So uh, I have two cats. The little dark cat is Oscura, uh <laughs> and the, the little light cat is chiaro. So put oh. them together I have oscura
0: Nice. <laughs>
1: the light and dark, so
0: oh I love it. Well, see, it's the perk of watching this video, everyone, versus listening to the, just the episode. So this is a yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, OK, well, great. So let's talk about the melody a little bit. So um, what are some of the things that you do to make sure that a melody is singable? And what does that mean to you, that a, a melody is singable? Uh,
1: well, it, it's, it's interesting. It's the sort of thing how I, I spoke earlier about. Uh, we've had a lot of training just from Living, and um, I've been in choirs since I was a kid, and a lot of the time singable comes just naturally because I've, I've been in choirs for 30 years. Um, there are things that you can do. You you can say, "Oh, okay, you you really shouldn't have. You know, you know, your jumps should outline a chord." Um, you shouldn't have this kind of interval you know approached from this direction that kind of thing these official music theory terms but just sitting down and singing what you've written will most of the time get you that far uh, most of the time you'll you'll be going through and you'll say oh that's 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 kind of difficult or hand it to somebody else um, I always tell my Ooh. students that you're finally a composer when somebody else can re- recreate what what you've put on paper. That's when you're you know, before you're you're a song idea person, but you become a composer when somebody else can do it and you're not around. So you know, hand that to somebody else and have them sing it. And if they have a bunch of trouble with it, maybe you've got some some issues coming coming down the road. Um, when we, at, at NPM and at Liturgical Composers Forum, and you know, really at anything, I mean, this is what the publishing companies do too. They all sit down and they sing through what's there. And if people are, if if everybody has a big problem and nobody sings it correctly, that's that's kind of a a thing. They'll set it aside and they'll say, nope, this isn't going to work. It's not singable. Um, there are different levels to that. You want it to be easy enough that you can get it after a couple times, maybe rehearsing it. Uh, but you also want it interesting enough that you might not get it the first time. You know, you, yes. you want it to be just interesting enough that that somebody has to has to work for it. You know, we always tell kids, you know, oh, you'll appreciate this because you had to work for it. Well, you, you want to actually work a little bit. Otherwise, your brain's going to think, meh. You know, it's, yes. it's just not interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> I think sing- Singable for me means um, easy enough to do it after a couple of times, yet interesting enough that I might mess something up the first time.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. I like that. I like that summary. Okay, let's talk about kind of an overarching idea between the melody and the text. Mm -hmm. Um, So what if we find a segment of a melody from another hymn or another song that we like or a text that we like, but how do we handle, maybe the text is a separate question, but it's similar. Like how do we handle copyright considerations whenever it comes to finding something we like But also not wanting to copy it if that makes sense and again this might be a separate response for text
1: uh it's it's interesting because i think it, it might not be as separate as as you think because there are considerations for even tiny bits of text um i've run into that in in the past where you know just a very recognizable couple words that are are prominent in another piece of music, popped their way into into mine, and and had to be reworked uh, because of that. In in terms of um, melodies and music, I you know if if it's if it's three notes that are going to be, that are incredibly well known. I, I, here's five notes, you know, someone might say, five notes, you know, is that really all you took? Well, if your five notes are, are, like, that's a real, that's a real important five notes. (laughs) And, and so a lot of it is, is kind of subjective. Um, if you find something that works, maybe there's a chord that you like, um, that, that you, that you find yourself using over and over again, or you, you, you find it in a piece of music and you really like how that chord sounds. I wouldn't worry so much about, you know, using that chord as a starting point, maybe just use it in a different way. Um, there are only so many combination of combinations of notes from, for melodies, I mean, plain and simple. There, there's only so many, and maybe if you just use it in a slightly different way. Um, a, a lot of the time, I I I I talk about. Uh, I I write a lot of difficult flute parts. I've just got, <gasps> I, I I've had some excellent flute players, uh, in in my church choirs, and so a lot of the flute parts that I write are are very difficult and you know a lot of you know scales you know things like that and my i've got a, a flute player currently she always says what are you thinking what are you doing i said well not all of these notes are important it was the gesture of having that upward whoosh that was the important part if you if you fake some of those notes in between there it's not that big a deal so maybe you like the gesture from a melody you like how that that melody kind of soars up If you can separate that out and say, okay, well, this song has this gesture that I like, maybe I can do a similar gesture without ripping off these notes. And and that that can get you around it sometimes. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about finding, let's just say, a specific hymn text that we like? Is there any copyright or attribution considerations we need to be aware of?
1: You need to check out the, the be good about checking out the source. Um, I've had some very interesting um, times checking out sources for things. Um, I'll tell you a little story. I had uh, what I I'm old fashioned. I write Christmas cards every year. Mm-hmm. And for the last you know, 16, 17 years, I guess now, I've been writing a Christmas carol or a winter carol of some kind. Um, and that's been my been my Christmas card. And so I've pulled texts from all kinds of places to do this. And if I'm using that, you know, just to send to family and friends and it's not being performed anywhere, it's not really a problem to, to use something. I always attribute it to the right people, but I, I'm not contacting them. Well, then I decided to do a recording session of it. Now you got to contact those people, and one was a French text, and I of uh, an something that French classrooms—it's uh, a popular poem in in France that classroom teachers are putting up on their walls. Oh. But there was very little in way of attribution of who wrote it, and I searched and searched and hunted down, and I eventually found this woman. Who had written the text? Uh, Ninety-some years old lives outside of Paris, and my French is okay, but my father is a French teacher, so I actually sent him on a quest, and he eventually got her on the phone wow. in this, in, you know, outside of, of Paris. And you know, sent all the requests through, connected us via email, and so for a long time before she passed, a couple of years ago, I had a French pen pal oh. uh, that, that I that I had met uh, through through doing this. So you do want to make sure, especially uh, we'd all like to think that maybe the song is going to go somewhere or someone might use it, and as long as somebody's going to use it, you need to get the the permissions. So, um, if if you're looking at a hymn text, a lot of the time you can look in a hymnal, and if it says traditional, a lot of the time you're okay. Um, sometimes uh, there there are some traditional hymn texts that have been purchased by various companies. Uh, I know that um, Hope Music Publications actually had purchased uh, several. Uh, hymn texts and and the and the music that goes with them. Um, so just hunt it down. Just be sure on on what you're using. And especially, uh, like uh, there there are so many good resources out there. Um, both OCP and GIA have books of hymn texts from various writers. There's a new one just in the last couple years uh, of women uh, text writers that 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 is out that 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 ocp has and any any of those will have the proper attribution in there and so you'll want to contact companies and and make sure that um that you you've got what you need and i remember i was very concerned the first time i ever contacted a company about uh some a a text that was copyrighted and yeah it, it it is just one more step to go through, mm-hmm. but the companies are more than happy to point you in the right direction. You know, if if you have the wrong email address for someone at that company, they will gladly point you in the right direction. And the people I've worked with at multiple companies are great about it. So it's worth doing the, the step of making sure you are okayed on these rights.
0: Agreed, great. Okay, so we've talked about the different building blocks that we have to consider. We haven't even touched instrumentation, which I'm sure maybe Luke, if you're willing to come back for another episode, maybe that'll be another topic we cover on another totally different day. Okay, good, good. Um, But let's talk about, let's say we, we, we spent the time, we have perfected our melody, we gave it to some people, we tweaked the melody based on their feedback. Same thing with text, everything is ready. What do we do if we want to maybe go one step further with this and get it published in some way, whatever that looks like? What are some of the steps we can take?
1: Um I mentioned earlier the social aspect of things. This is where that plays in. This is where you 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 cash in favors with the people that you've met along the way. Um so you want to take that next step you you want to make sure that all the parts of it are at least at the level of competent if not at the level of you know really really excellent if you are someone who doesn't play the piano it's really daunting to say okay i'm going to write a piano part and you, you begin to get the idea of how things work by looking at you know other piano pieces. You can start getting some ideas of how things go, but hand it to a piano player. Say, what would you do uh, in, in this case? You know, I personally, um, I, I play the, the piano, I, I play some organ, I'm not a great organist, um, but I, I play well enough to get through things. You don't want me as a concert organist. So, so if someone says, I'd like you to write me this organ piece, I'm going to put some ideas on paper and then go to an organist and say, all right, this I, I need to know some specifics on this. Yeah, Piano and organ, lots of similarities. If you're writing for flute and you've never written for a flute before, and you don't know anything about it, um, talk to a flute player. Um, Every instrument has places that just aren't good. Um, There there are certain notes that are just really difficult to to make speak. And there are notes in succession, one after the other, that are not easy to do, Um, clarinets really really bad at that kind of thing and um it's trial and error and then handing it to someone and saying all right have a look at this uh i remember and musicians are always happy to to help out with that kind of thing um i i was actually a composition major in college and the cleveland chamber symphony had a program where you could write uh, it, enter something in and they would read your piece of music when we were in college. Great opportunity. Sure. And I, I had to write for harp. I had never written for harp. And harp is a surprisingly complex instrument. And so I I handed the piece to them and the best thing on earth was when they the, the players handed the the parts back, especially the harp player, she found me and she said, you wrote this here and it's technically impossible on on the instrument, but I wanted to see if there was a way to do it. And I thought about it for a while and figured out if you write it this way, it's not impossible anymore. Oh, wow. I would have never thought of that ever <gasps> in years. And so getting somebody that really knows the instrument to look at it can give you all these insights. I've had string players, um, uh, from the local symphony, I had to uh, to do an arrangement of something, and the one string, the via, the second violinist said, "This is very, I I can't I can't make this happen." And then said mm-hmm. to the first violinist, "Wait, what are you doing?" And they figured out if they reversed their notes in mm-hmm. it, it it would work perfectly for both. And so it's it, little things like that that right. I'm not gonna know as a violin player. Mm-hmm just give it to somebody get it into somebody else's hands and and see it's a lot like having someone else sing it the singability thing it's the same playability thing and um one one thing that's really dangerous that composers of of any kind you know experienced and not experienced have is computers because the computer can do anything yeah, the computer can tell you if you're if you've written too high or too low for the instrument, but in terms of making it happen, it can do anything, and so it gives you a, a false sense of what's possible. Um, get it into the hands of a of a real person so that they can tell you what what feels good to them.
0: How do we then take those steps and work towards publishing?
1: Talk with someone who's had some success with it. Um, NPM has been great. When I was first starting out, uh, my first NPM convention was 1996, I think. Five or six, whichever was in Cincinnati. And I remember being around these composers that I had always looked up to and sung their music and there they were. I was walking down the hall with them. And NPM yeah. is, is a great place to just stop people and 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 talk to people, and say, "Hey, can you can you look this over?" Um, but you know, find someone to kind of be a mentor that's had some luck with it before and knows what a company is looking for. And then the next step would be and this is tough as a composer sometimes, we sometimes, we know what we want and all of a sudden somebody else is telling us we were wrong, you know, we were wrong in what we wanted. It it should have been something else or we should do it differently. Um, There's a humility to it that is very hard sometimes. Uh, I've I've done this a, a, a bunch of times and it's still hard for me and I know composers who are, you know, far more prolific out there that have the exact same problem. Um, you know, we did it right the first time. Why is someone telling us it's wrong? Be open to the to the the criticism of it. Um, the the second draft is is oftentimes better. So take take those uh, take the the advice that the people give. Work it into what you've got, especially in terms of layout and what a company is is looking for. Um, I, I I hate to to put it this way, but it's 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 true. You know, we we always talk about when we're um, dealing with other people, we should get to know more than than just you know the outside, you know their their outside qualities, and um, that is absolutely true. A lot of the time it doesn't get that far when you're when you're handing when you're turning submitting a piece of music like that if it doesn't look like a well thought out piece of music it's already got that that red flag on it and Mm. it, it may never it may never get further than just the initial glance
0: and i think it's important to mention too very briefly that sometimes if someone submits a piece um, it might not it let's just say to, to, a, a publisher for publishing, it may not be the right time just in general for that publisher, for that, that, that season of song, that type of song, it's just not what they're looking to publish new. Is that correct?
1: That is absolutely correct. We are, we are told that all the time, um, seasoned composers and brand new composers are told that exact same thing all the time. Um. If you're if you're handing a publishing company a a version of I'm just going to pick something Ave Verum Corpus uh, mm-hmm. and you've used that text, you'd better have something pretty darn good to say, like pretty pretty revolutionary to say in your version of it when you've got. A publishing company that already has three versions of it, and oh, we can also get Mozart's version for free online. <laughs> uh, you—that's know, you, that's pretty tough to go up against three copies that are already at that publisher and Mozart. Mm-hmm. That's so, a very
0: good point. Yeah. Check
1: check out the the what what the the company already has when you're sending it in, because if the company's already got five of them you they don't they probably don't need number six
0: well if anyone has any follow-up questions they have would you be okay if i share your email address in the show notes of the episode if anyone has any questions for you absolutely okay all right that's great well luke i I feel like we could talk for another half hour but (laughs) um again if you're willing i'd love to have you back for another episode just on instrumentation i think that would be a wonderful thing to do Um, But I thank you so much for this first step, if you will, for someone who might be listening and who is feeling that tug of the Holy Spirit on their heart and maybe have a little bit of something in their ear that they would like to get out on paper. Um, So I thank you for helping us with this wonderful informational podcast episode. And thank you for all you do in ministry.
1: Well, you're very welcome. It's it's my pleasure. It's, it's, It's an incredibly rewarding thing to be involved in.
0: Thanks so much to Luke for his time today. For more information about this episode, including the video version, which includes cat cameos, check out the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. The recording of Bien was produced by OCP and today's theme music was produced by Erin Shouse. Today's episode was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next time on Ministry Monday.